welcome to the Robert Humphrey's to Marketing Update, where the city gathers around and stuff, so you can get to, um, you get to, um, have fun with Robert Financial. Learn about investing. Learn about navigating. Learn about all those types of buying. Thank you, Bobby Hunt, for the intro. Team me up for success. What a show we have for you today. We will try to navigate, as Bobby referenced, as best we are able, the financial news to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. Great show for you this week. We're going to look at an article on how to build a treasury bill ladder to capture higher deals. Should you follow suit? And what does that even mean? What is a treasury bill ladder? We're going to look at a CNBC article about the growth of index investing and why it's actually no threat to market efficiency. It's a wonderful article. And then for all of my Berkshire Hathaway groupies out there, you know what this week was. The annual letter drop that Warren Buffett writes for Berkshire Hathaway on the simplest website known to man, BerkshireHathaway.com. And we've got some takeaways from it. I, I love reading it every year and recommend you follow suit. Also, read, read prior years if you want to learn even more about investing. They are a gym. So we'll look at uh, the letter and some, uh, some various highlights that I think you'll learn from. And then we've got some Peter Malouk data, some of our favorite. We're going to look at uh, mutual fund returns and what happens to the funds that are in the top 20% and what happens to them five years later as well as just some interesting article on mortgage data. I, I, the 30-year conventional mortgage, what percentage of outstanding mortgage is currently have are using rates below the current rates? So it was interesting to me. All right, at the top, Treasury bill ladder. A lot is being made right now, and rightfully so, of the move up in interest rates. So anyone who is a borrower is not very pleased with these moves, understandably so. It is costing more and more for a borrower, if you're thinking about buying a house or if you're in business and want to go to a bank and borrow money, it is costing you more and more. The bank has their the interest rates they're charging you are higher and higher. If you are a saver, you applaud these rates, generally speaking, because you now are able to get more interest on your available cash. And this article <coughs> that came out this week from CNBC is highlighting a strategy called a treasury bill ladder. Now, what is a treasury bill ladder? Well, there are various interest rates on different treasury bills based on their maturity, their, their duration, meaning a one-month treasury, a three-month treasury, a six-month treasury, a one-year, a two-year, a 10-year, a 30-year. All those have different durations. And a ladder would be actually buying these various different treasury notes based on perhaps when you needed the money, or kind of spreading out the maturity. So you might buy a three-month and a six-month and a one-year. And when that, when that one-year matures, you, you, you ladder on another, another three-month or, an, an, or another one-year. You you, people can build them different ways, but what it, what it can allow for is you're, you're buying these different durations and creating a ladder so they're maturing sometimes every three months or so, and it smooths out. The yield, because right now, and this article shows it, I'll put it in the show notes, out of all these various 
durations, the one month, the three month, the six month, the one year, the two year, the 10 year, the third year, guess which one has the highest yield? Some of you may know this, but if you don't, this may be revelatory to you. It's the six month. The six month treasury is at 5.148% as of March 2nd, or I guess whenever I, that might be when I printed the article, maybe two days back. The three months, 4.86, the one month, 4.58, the one year treasury, 5.06. The one year treasury is below the six month treasury. What? That may sound incongruous to you. This is what they call the inverted yield curve. The, the market is anticipating interest rates to go lower. So they're not going to reward you for taking on these longer duration instruments. So should you, I mean, a lot of people look at this and say, well, wow, I'll just, let's just build this ladder. Maybe this is the thing for me. I tell people to maybe slow down. And is there any, you know, rule number one, right? Keep that investing simple. Okay, this is kind of simple, maybe not. Time rising long and uh, keep it inexpensive, keep it cheap. It's definitely cheap. You can go to Treasury Direct to do this. I don't recommend it. I think the website is a little clunky and uh, you're, I think you're better served operating through Vanguard. That's where I use it. And as you'll, for those of you who are regularly listening, you'll know I bought one of these instruments as an experiment for you, the listener, and bought it and sold it. And it was a little clunky, but very doable. E easy to figure out once you get your, your feet wet. But should you do it? I would say this is permissible. If you wanted to, you could go ahead and get that six month, three month, one month at Vanguard. It's quite easy. You can go in, you say you want to buy, buy a bond, set the duration. You can buy them from whomever. And the market's very liquid, very efficient. Very, you know, you're going to get a fair price. But you're a little bit on a carousel here. It means you're going to need to keep up with it a little bit. If you just let it slide, you're not going to stay with your ladder. Now, Vanguard, I think our default position could always be, well, what if we were just in the Vanguard Money Market Fund? That's about 4.5%, a little over it. That's what the Vanguard Money Market Fund is right now. So you're not missing out on too much by not engaging the latter. And also, there are other exchange-traded funds that basically do this for you for a fee. So BILS does this. VG, I believe it's VGSH, was a Vanguard short-term uh, treasury which is a little longer duration. I think it's one to three year. Uh, they also have uh, Vanguard short bond, VUSB, which is kind of a one year duration. There are a lot of these exchange traded funds that will be willing to package this for you so that you don't have to mess with a, a treasury ladder unless if you want to, you can. That's where I typically will send people if they want to capture some of these yields. Be willing to go the easy button. It may cost you a little bit. It may not be optimal from an interest rate perspective, but I think it'll be optimal from an execution perspective. Any strategy, we want to make sure, can we actually stick with this over the long haul? I think paying seven basis points or 10 basis points is what Vanguard's cost. You're really not paying a ton for someone to do all this for you. And you achieve what you need to achieve. Again, the horse to beat, I think, is just putting your money in the Vanguard money market fund. So much of this is personal. So this is a personal decision. There's not a one size fits all, but 4.53% or whatever the Vanguard money market fund is, that's going to be tough for any bank to beat. And your money is very liquid. So very safe, very liquid, meaning that money market fund in two days time, you can have that money in business days in your, in your checking account. So be willing to go simple here. I'd say do, do the ladder, just so you know, when you hear that term treasury ladder, 
And that's what they're talking about, these different durations, building them together so that when they roll off, you just keep laddering, they call it in. Uh, I think there's an easy way to do it, but go for it if you want. Another great article, CNBC, growth of index investing is no threat to market efficiency. Mm-hmm. Ha-ha. All those active fund people telling us we are going to end the world. Were they wrong? Yes, they were. Article goes on. <clears throat> A new study says we shouldn't worry. There are important trends for investors. The triumph of indexing or investing in indexes has to rank near the top. With more than $7 trillion tracking the S&P 500 alone, the index funds now encompass between a quarter and a third of the capitalization of the U.S. equity market, meaning that's a lot, a quarter or a third. I wonder why they so horseshoe and hand grenade about it. They don't know exactly, but let's just say it's a third of the U.S. capitalized U.S. equity market is index funds. So no surprise, the article says, the largest group of detractors of passive investing are the active managers. They've argued that index fund ownership concentrates in a small handful of firms, BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, they would have an outsized influence on markets. Boo-hoo. Boo-hoo. What do we know? This is, this is where this article gets so good. Investing, the more indexing is taken off, the more efficient the market has become. Paradoxical as that sound. This article explains why. So there are distinctions to be made. Passive managers don't do much trading, the article says. Active managers do 91% of all the training. That's a lot. Passive trading is growing very slowly and is only a tiny fraction of overall trading. So if these passive managers own a third of all the market assets, as we stipulated, the active manager will still do 91% of the trading. So it's not apples to apples. The article says the valuation of index constituents is ultimately decided by active managers whose trades are motivated by their own research. Do you see what's happening here, Robert Hunt Financial listener? You see what a good train you're on with index investing? You can uh, occupy a third of the market cap, but your active is doing 91% of the trading, so the market is incredibly efficient. So th this article continues, will passive markets Will passive make markets inefficient? Well, this article says you'd have to go for passive from 30% to 83%. Passive would have to own 83%, and even at that level, there's no reason to assume that the efficiency would be impaired, this, this author said, this Lazara said, author of the study. So basically, we're a long way from passive ever controlling trading, even if that were ever to exist. And here's the part I just loved. What's happening here is that active management is actually getting better the fewer participants there are. Why is that? As investors, as a whole, throw in the towel, so to speak, and begin to index, which we know is just a way of taking the mantle, taking the crown, but throw in the towel, so to speak, and passively in invest. Who's left? That 91% of trading activity, who's left? Hopefully the good active investors, whatever that means. But the, the, the bad ones will go by the wayside. So active investors, this article says, have never been better because the bad ones are just getting ship-shaped ship out and people are going index. And they, they, they talk about the Spiever report, as you know, one of my favorite reports, the evidence that demands a verdict. This article says the Spiever report shows that over the past 20 years, active managers are not doing better. 
but if anything are doing worse than the market. Princeton Professor Burton Malkiel said, Malkiel, of course, being the famous author of Random Walk Down Wall Street. So the money is moving from the least capable active managers to passive investing. That makes the remaining active managers better. I'd even go to further extremes for you. This is this, this argument comes up from time to time with me is, oh gosh, what if everybody went passive, Robert? Isn't your strategy going to blow up in your face? Won't you just be stuck on an island when you're the only, it's only passive and prices are, are inefficient and capital allocation is, is really not done properly? Well, we're a long way from that. And even if we got there, I'm not so sure it'd be a problem because active is what's going to dictate the price. So sleep well at night. Index fund investor, have a great deal of confidence in your contribution to society and your contribution to the market's efficiency. Whenever someone accuses you, hey, you're not doing anything to contribute to efficient markets at all, you say, oh, contraire, did you see the CNBC article by Brendan McDermott quoting Mr. Lazard's study saying that actually, in fact, more people going index has it contributed to a more efficient market because only the best active participants are on the field. That'll throw him for a loop. That'll throw that uncle for a loop who's trying to get you to do some hokey active fund. And then the Berkshire Hathaway letter. So there's a whole lot in here we can't go over. I think it we could deserve its own segment for it, but it's a great read. Uh, Warren Buffett teaching us how to invest. I want to talk about his humility. So oftentimes we have a conception of Warren Buffett. He's this Michael Jordan of investing, the greatest to ever do it. And hear what he has to say. He says this in their letter, page four. At this point, a report card from me is appropriate. In 58 years of Berkshire management, most of my capital allocation decisions have been no better than so-so. In some cases also, bad moves by me have been rescued by very large doses of luck. Remember our escapes from near disasters at U.S. Air and Solomon? I certainly do. Our satisfactory results have been the product of about a dozen truly good decisions. That would be about one every five years. And a sometimes forgotten advantage that favors long-term investors such as Berkshire. Let's take a peek behind the curtain. See, I just love that. Do you recognize the humility? When you, when you receive a hot stock tip from someone, do you realize Buffett is saying he got a lot of ideas? Most of his ideas were bad. The greatest to ever do it, bad. And it was once every five years that what he executed on was good. Over 58 years. I want to talk about, he says, the secret sauce. So that's what we want to know, right? As investors, Mr. Buffett, what is the secret sauce? I'm sure he gets asked that all the time. What? What do I do? And Mr. Buffett, of course, advocates us to go into index funds. What should we do, Mr. Buffett? What does he say? He tells us a story. In August of 1994, yes, 1994, Berkshire completed its seven-year purchase of the 400 million shares of Coca-Cola we now own. Total cost being $1.3 billion, a meaningful sum for Berkshire. The cash dividend we received from Coke in 94 was $75 million. By 2022, the dividend had increased to $704 million. I'll read that again. 94, they bought Coke. That dividend was $75 million. By 2022, 2022, that's right now, the dividend had increased to $704 million. So I'll round up and say that's almost a 10x on the dividend. Whoa. It's about 30 years. But wow. And he says the secret sauce is just waiting. Growth occurred every year, just as certain as birthdays. All Charlie Munger and I were required to do was cash Coke's quarterly dividend checks. We expect those, we expect those checks are highly likely to grow. 
He says another story, American Express, the same story. Berkshire's purchase of Amex were essentially competed in 1995 and coincidentally also cost $1.3 billion. Annual dividends received from the investment have grown from $41 million to $302 million. Again, close to it. Not a 10x, a little below that. Those checks, too, seem highly likely to increase. So what was the secret sauce, he said? The lesson for investors, the weeds wither away in significance as the flowers bloom. Over time, it takes just a few winners to work wonders, and yes, it helps to start early and live into your 90s as well. Ha ha. Well, what can we take from this? We're not stock pickers. Warren, don't you know the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update? Have you, um, has he not been listening? Does he not understand that for us, keeping our investing simple, our costs low, and our time rising long means index funds and not individual securities? Well, is this, is this telling us to change course? It is not. Let's take the the truth from this, which is that those five, you know, one good idea every five years that Buffett quoted, he's working all day, every day, the best to ever do it. That ain't you and I. But how can we emulate this? How can we emulate the secret sauce? By hanging in there for a long time. So we may not be able to spot the next Coke. And it's very difficult for Warren to spot the next Coke. But we, we know how to stick with it and keep those costs low. So be willing to invest like it's 1994 today. Be willing to have a 30-year time horizon. 30 years. And do you remember what it was required of him? Do you remember what it took for him to do? What did he have to do? He had to sit on it. That's the hardest part. I think that's what separates him from so many others. It, it's almost impossible to not get bored in investing. Almost impossible. How could you buy Coke and just read the same? He read that annual report every year. He was reading it before and after. American Express, same deal, just the same report, same thing, year after year, same business. Credit cards, soft drinks, but he didn't sell. He kept it. Can you do that? Can I do that? Well, if we create a portfolio of permanence, which we talk about, permanence is an important word, we can do it. And then let's close here with some fun data. I remember seeing this at a Vanguard Roadshow. Yes, they have Vanguard Roadshow for the investing nerds out there. They come, I think, once every two years. Here, Here's Vanguard data. I found this on Twitter. Did you know in 1994 how the top performing stock funds of 2004 fared in rankings five years later? Meaning you can rank all the all these mutual funds in the top quintile, second quintile, third quintile, fourth quintile, fifth quintile. That's top 20%, second 20%. So kind of slice layers on a cake. How did that top, that top 20%, how'd they do? Because I hear this a lot, guys. Robert, why don't you just pick the best fund? Let's invest in that. Let's just figure out who the best managers are. So let's just go with that. Tell me what category did best, and we'll just roll our money into that. Well, here's the data, folks. Did you know that of those funds, top 40 funds in 2014, five years later, a whole 25% of those were gone. Like the funds disappeared, merged, liquidated. 13.7% fell to the bottom 20%. So from top 20% fell to the fourth quintile. 11% fell to the third quintile. 16% fell to the second only 20% or so remained in the top 20%. So we had, okay, tough to visualize. I want you to just hang with me. That top 20%, we tracked it five years later. What happened to those top 20%? Well, guys, a full, almost 25% disappeared. And then the whole rest of them, they underperformed. The only 20% of those, of those original top 20% remained in that top quintile which if you're a statistician makes you think this is looking like a bell curve. I'm wondering. The lesson here is past performance doesn't, doesn't, doesn't confer 
future results at all. It's just a, it's just a bell curve. And then in closing, I just thought this was interesting data. Did you know what percentage of outstanding mortgages have the interest rates below current rates? 99%. That's the distribution of outstanding 30-year conventional mortgage borrow interest rates. Isn't that amazing? That's how quick the interest rate level has increased and how borrowers are now saying, we don't want to borrow again, not at these rates. So as always, keep those costs low. Keep that investing symbol. Keep that time rising law. That's what's going to be the best shot on your investing journey.